Podcast. You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people, mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 268. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hello! Heyszan, heyszan! Breaking down language barriers, eh? Yeah. I have something to say about that. <laughs> so we... we okay. <laughs> we talked about English spelling last week. Careful there. That was a very touchy subject, it seems. So our... Uh, yeah, it was. <laughs> our friend Bob got in touch with us to tell us that we don't know what we're talking about. Specifically... Regarding the silent E at the end of many words, he claims that that's a great way to separate words like, and he took several examples, but, you know, like rat and rate, for instance, you put a silent E at the end of rate to make them different. I, I hate making d- uh, enemies here, but but I'm I'm doubling down. I think it's a terrible idea. First of all, <laughs> rat has a short a in the middle, which is in all civilized languages, is marked by doubling the consonants behind the A. <laughs> so rat, as in the animal, should be spelled R-A-T-T. Like uh, Ratte in German. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> Still has a silent E. <laughs> yes. And that would leave you free to kick out the E at re- in the word rate. So it would be R-A-T. But only then you get into the, the problem of the great vowel shift that went on in English a long time ago. So th- this word supposedly once was pronounced rat with a long A, but then it became rate. But there's a perfectly good way to spell rate. You can you spell it R-E-I-T, like in any good language, right? And uh, <laughs> you, reit, you just sound through it. R-E-I-T, reit, reit. And you don't have to bother with this uh, silent E business. So at the risk of alienating all our English friends out there, (laughs) and uh, most of all, Bob, of course, I must tell you, Bob, you are wrong, really wrong, (laughs) and English spelling sucks. Listen to Pontus the linguist. <laughs> the, the problem is that English is a pseudo language. That's that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so Ooh, talking about alienating <laughs> friends and listeners. <laughs> uh, we can close the show right here and right now. Nobody's going. To you were listening us. to the ESP. <laughs> <laughs> we are skeptics, after all. Yeah, skeptical about languages as well. Spelling skeptics. But I happen to really love this pseudo language. So all right, I'm not going to just sit around and and wait for you to bash it even more. <laughs> We're moving on, mm-hmm. right? We're moving on from this topic. <laughs> yes, mate, we should definitely move on. <laughs> okay. All right, I got to say what I needed to say then. Yeah, good. Uh, it, it's great that you got it off your chest. Okay. <laughs> at that rate, it's very good that he got his off his at that chest. Rate, at that rate, we are not going anywhere. <laughs> but the rats are coming. So... <laughs> Before we completely derail the, the show, I think we should probably uh, start the actual party by finding out what happened this week in Skepticism. 
Yes, and this week on the 31st of March, 1596, René Descartes was born in France. Ah, good old René. Yeah, René Descartes. Yeah. <laughs> or Descartes, as he would be pronounced when Pontus would be <laughs> <laughs> the French linguist. <laughs> well, yes. Descartes, right. the Descartes, Descartes yeah, or yeah, something. Right. Descartes. <laughs> Descartes. That sounds like Spanish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Descartes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, but so he was a philosopher, mathematician, and scientist, uh -huh. and a prominent figure of the Dutch Golden Age, <laughs> because he, uh, believe it or not, he, he was born in France, but he was very active in, in the Netherlands, uh -huh. and uh, he was one of the founders of modern philosophy. He interestingly disregarded the views of philosophers before him, like the ancient Greeks, for example. And he gave attention to epistemology, so like how knowledge is acquired. He had a big influence on, on Western thought and thus also influenced the age of reason and the, age, the whole enlightenment a lot. And his writings are still a standard text for philosophy at the universities. He was a key figure of scientific, the scientific revolution um, and the father of analytical geometry. So like it doesn't stop at f uh, philosophy. And he influenced the emancipation from the church doctrine and a young Isaac Newton. So he has a huge influence on pretty much everything we call skepticism and science today. <laughs> yeah, he, he was the ultimate skeptic, right? He started yeah. with thinking, I know nothing about anything except that I think, therefore I must exist. And then he, then of course he made that unfortunate quick jump because I exist. Also, God must exist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because who created me? And then he went wrong. But he started right. Uh, he was, exactly. had a good uh, intention to the in the beginning. But it, it was in the influence of the era. Of course. I mean, obviously, everyone thought like that back then, or most of, most of the people. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't really questioned the existence of God. And interestingly, like, as I said, like, he was born in France. He was active in the Netherlands. Guess where he was, uh, where he died? In Stockholm? Yes. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We kill all the philosophers when, when they get here. We just yeah, whack good. them over there. All yeah. the philosophers. Oh, I think that's a hoax that all the philosophers died in Stockholm, Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> the smart ones didn't come here, so. Yes, it's a philosopher's <laughs> trap. <laughs> so we just established that René Descartes was not really the, one of the smart ones. Okay. <laughs> so I take that back. <laughs> but nice. I keep, nice. keep making friends today. Yes. <laughs> but he was a very, very influential philosopher <laughs> this show is really going to the right direction right now <laughs> <laughs> we are making friends mm. among friends We're making friends <laughs> all over europe yeah but to really put it in nutshells he was a very good influence on everything that we are pretty much mm. and yeah deserves a happy birthday <laughs> happy birthday to you yeah and who knows there might be a good quote uh, from him coming later on Ooh. to this show so stay tuned i listen therefore i'll know yeah stay tuned <laughs> yeah i listen therefore i'll know i like that okay <laughs> thank you very much Annika. you're welcome and thanks to good old rene as well for uh, for all his work and i'm really eager to find out what the latest work of um guys in the vatican might be so pontus have you got something to poke the pope for 
all right. Yes, they are all broke. Good. <laughs> or so. But uh, you would Not think. long before it goes away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe we're looking at the last days of the Vatican here or the, the Catholic Church. I don't think yeah. so. But you, wish. you would think that being the Pope uh, should be a more or less spiritual occupation. So, so you think a lot and you look forward to the time after this and and heavenly things like that and you chat with god all the time right yeah well that that's easy the problem is to hear what he has to say back (laughs) poor francis though he is having to deal with a lot of worldly troubles these days as i said they're broke more or less um, or at least um, a little bit broke The finances of the Vatican, we've commented on this before, they are deep in the red with a deficit of 60 million euro last year. No tourists come there anymore because of the pandemic. But also there's been shady business uh, with the Peter Spence Fund, Mm -hmm. uh, and that has created big holes in the treasury. Um, Also, as I've mentioned before, Frankie doesn't want to be the first pope in modern times that starts firing people, but he has all of these people employed. So what can he do? Any ideas? What would you do if you were running the Vatican and you weren't allowed to fire people? Kill them all? <laughs> uh, not, nothing so drastic, I think. Ask uh, God to do that? Yeah. To take them all? <laughs> well, I would probably make them terminate their job. So, for example, I would open up the Vatican for, for everything they don't like. Well, there has been some harassment uh, in the past. I don't know if that's been in the purpose no, to I make mean, people... Like, s- I mean, like, for example... Um, if I wanted to get rid of a very old guy yeah. who is also very conservative, I would employ a lot of young women to <laughs> okay. make him wanting to leave the job. <laughs> well, the the problem with that is then you're just employing more people. So True. <laughs> yeah, which you want to avoid in the first place. Yeah. yeah. Which right. you wanted to avoid. So what what he's trying to do, what he has done actually uh, Francis is that he has decided to cut everybody's salary and starting at the top he's reducing all the cardinals paychecks with 10% oh, wow. as of 1st of April and I'm not this joking <laughs> yeah no, that's true it's, it's tough times there the regular staff the others uh, are also getting reductions between 3 to 8% mm-hmm. all of uh, as I said as of uh, 1st of April uh, I wouldn't feel too sorry for the cardinals, though, because they don't have a lot of expenses anyway. Many of them live entirely for free in the actual Vatican, or some of them live in large apartments in Rome, uh, which they don't pay full market rents for. And their salary is, uh, or was before this cut, around uh, uh, €73,000 per year. So it's not it doesn't make you a millionaire, but if you don't have any expenses, it, it's quite comfortable, I think. So I did a little bit uh, back of the envelope calculation and the cut of the Cardinal's paychecks would save about 1.7 million per year. So, of course, that's money. I would be glad to to receive 1.7 million euros, but it's far from the 60 million euro that was the loss last year. Uh, And maybe I think Frankie now regrets that he has let the number of Cardinals increase over time (laughs) because there were only 207 Cardinals when he was elected back in 2013 and now it's 227. So that's up by 10%. And maybe that's where he got the number 10%. Okay. He increased the number with 10% and then he reduced the salary with, with 10%. But, you know, he he has been extending the, the, the Cardinals uh, or the because he wants to... Uh, that's me 
guessing, of course, but I think he wants to fill it with his people. And uh, he doesn't really want to let the, uh, the others go because that wouldn't look good. But he could get rid of a few, I think. Cardinal Pell is still there. He's still a, a cardinal. He's still getting his money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways. But he never did anything wrong. <laughs> the court said it. No, court no said it. he had to suffer a long time for doing nothing wrong. Spent his time in jail <laughs> uh, writing a book that, of course, he sold <laughs> afterwards. But anyway, reducing the salary uh, will not fix all the issue or only very small part of the issue. And maybe that's why at the meeting to kick off this new fiscal year, he talked about harder measures to fight financial corruption in the Catholic Church. So imagine that, corrupt cardinals and bishops. And it's almost like they're not uh, so holy after all. They have the money, they have the abuse... Great organization. It is indeed. Yeah. Speaking of criminals, <laughs> guess who received a personal letter from Frankie Boy last week? Uh, whom? Julian Bloody Assange. Wow. Wow. He's, I, I, I don't even know if he is religious or a Catholic. A very strange person to select as a pen pal for, for a pope, I think. We don't know exactly what the letter said because it's not been made public, but apparently it was friendly and encouraging. Go figure. Encouraging Assange to do what? <laughs> uh, well, that's not clear. But uh, according to Assange's uh, sister, uh, the, the letter was a nice one and encouraging for Assange. I, I have no idea. I don't know why he, he would send that person a letter. <laughs> uh, you never know with Frankie. You, you never know where he stands. Last week we heard about how he slammed the idea of blessing same-sex unions, right? Yeah. This week... Mm -hmm. The news is that he appointed an openly gay man living in a steady relationship with another man to the organization that is to look into the investigations about uh, sex abuse. So uh, good of him, of course, but uh, I understand how the German bishops and others are complaining that they don't understand the rules. <laughs> Perhaps because there are none. They are, uh, you know, Francis works in mysterious ways. <laughs> oh, not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Right. Thank you for the update. As of today, we are not going to have a COVID-19 update. I'm pretty sure that these days we are all full of all the news about COVID-19. So why don't we just... We're all over it. <laughs> skip one week and try not to think that much of that. Having said that, <laughs> there is one thing that I, I do uh, uh, want to mention. And uh, a couple of months ago, you probably remember that we mentioned a paper published in an Italian journal named Tumori that claimed that SARS-CoV-2 had been present in the country as early as September 2019. Does it ring a bell? Yeah, yeah. Like mm -hmm. it, it was based on a lung cancer screening study right. where they had reportedly found SARS-CoV-2 antibodies from that period in people. Now... Obviously, since it would be quite a big deal, if it were true, it sparked the interest of minor organizations like um, the WHO. <laughs> and uh, whether they could eventually talk to the researchers, I mean, the WHO representatives, and find out more remains unknown, but they did express their concern and that they wanted to talk to the researchers to find out more. But the researchers themselves seemed very convinced that many cases had been present in Milan, in Lombardy, in the second half of 2019. 
It would be nice to know, though. Not that it would change the current situation even a little bit, but still, scientifically speaking, it would be important and interesting to know if that had been the case. But someone made an inquiry about the paper's peer review process, specifically because of its rapid publication, the paper's uh, rapid publications. Retraction Watch reports that uh, journal that belongs to the international publishing giant Sage, by the way, the journal has now expressed concerns about the paper's findings with special regard to the peer review process. So there has to be a connection there. They very clearly stated, however, that as of now, they don't have any reason to believe the peer review process was quote-unquote compromised. Mm -hmm. But to make sure the journal and the publisher maintains the high standards of reviewing their papers, the article is now being properly investigated. So we don't know if this was just a fluke, uh, a minor detection error in this paper. It could be a lot of things. But the fact that the results have not yet been confirmed by independent research groups makes the whole story a little bit shaky, to be honest. Because it's an extraordinary claim that requires extraordinary evidence, yeah. or at least <laughs> independently confirmed evidence, <laughs> which has not been the case so far. So I do hope we will eventually find out what happened there, but uh, this is the, the latest situation. So this was like the extent of how much we wanted to talk about COVID-19 today. That means that we are free to do the news. Yeah, and I've got um, pretty good news, I think, mm, because there's good. a court case against a scam practitioner in Germany. We talked about the woman who died from cancer despite having a good prognosis uh, before, I think, mm -hmm. um, a few months ago. She discontinued her treatment, um, her radiation treatment, and went to a healing practitioner, a Heilpraktiker, a German Heilpraktiker, and she gave her um, snake venom as a uh, treatment. As we all know, that's really good against cancer. Aye, aye, aye. <laughs> yeah. And the woman died from the cancer, not from the snake venom, but pretty much from the cancer. And um, the practitioner was taken to court. And, and that's what the court says. While the practitioner didn't advise discontinuing the treatment, she also didn't encourage continuing it or opposing uh, discontinuing it. And in the court's view, she should have done that. She should have encouraged the woman, the patient, to still go to the radiation therapy, which means that healing practitioners can be held responsible, as Edzard Ernst has, uh, said very fittingly, uh, for things they not do. <laughs> right. Like, not even for things they're doing, but also for things they're not doing, for things they're neglecting to do. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I would say that's a really important outcome and maybe could be an example for other countries um, and for other victims of healing practitioners. <laughs> Yeah. No, it's a, it's a classic example of what's the harm. Yeah. Yeah. The harm is not always in the actual treatment. The harm is that you say no to or postpone or you cut down on the proper treatments because you're doing this other thing that you think will help but doesn't do anything. And, and then the disease, whatever is ailing you, is catching up and, and well, worst case, kills you. Yeah, exactly. And it's especially tragic if you actually have a good prognosis, if like right. science and medicine could have helped you. Okay, long-time listeners may recognize the name Paolo Macchiarini. <laughs> he was the surgeon that used fraudulent research to get permission to replace certain patients' tracheas with plastic ones. 
uh, that he had prepared with stem cells. Tragically, he did this based on, on research that was falsified. He, he hadn't done the experiments or the experiments he had done in, in animals didn't have the outcome that he promised it had. So all the operations failed and seven out of eight patients died. Now there is a new book out, in Swedish only, I'm afraid, but it is uh, written by the person who led that investigation into Macchiarini's activities at Karolinska Institute in Stockholm. My translation of the title would be The Cheaters, so that's quite <laughs> telling, and it describes not just the Macchiarini scandal, but also a dozen other fraudulent researchers in, in our time. It should prove to be a good read. The author is Shell Asplund. He is a, a well-known man, a very good expert in this area, and he definitely is considered one of the good guys by the Swedish skeptics, even if he is not affiliated with us directly. Mm -hmm. So we will put the link to this book in the show notes. What would, is the title in Swedish? <laughs> uh, uh, Fuskarna. Fuskarna. Okay. <laughs> Fuskarna. Yeah. Just learning all the Swedish words from you. <laughs> yes, very good. Fuskarna. So that... More language. <laughs> is that um, a straightforward translation? I did a straight... Yeah, the cheaters. Yes. The cheaters. Okay. Okay. I also have news about another book, a new book, The Great Bazaar no, look at bizarre <laughs> of irrational, or in French, le grand bizarre de l'irrationnel. I probably butchered that because I don't speak French. By Patrice Dartwell. <laughs> Again, probably butchered that. I'm sorry. <laughs> and yeah, it's a new book, and it's a collection of skeptical thoughts by different um, academics. And explores philosophical texts um, of Hume and Popper, but also of Sagan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's meant as an introduction to these texts. So it's a very interesting book, and I wish I would speak French to actually read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is something that the French did like very much. <laughs> they spell words with a silent E at the end. <laughs> they have a tendency to do so, yeah. <laughs> but, but, um, <laughs> le vin is what they really like. Ah, um, le vin. Du vin. Vinum. <laughs> vinum, that's right. Du vin. <laughs> Nous buvons du vin ce soir. But <laughs> Je ne parle pas français. <laughs> moi aussi. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to ask you. If there is a locally used phrase in your countries that may originate from the Latin phrase in vino veritas, uh, you know, it means that. Uh, uh, I know what it means. In, in wine, there is truth. Yeah. Uh, not seldom quoted in here in Sweden, but you, we use the, the Latin phrase. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's how I've heard it. Do you it. agree? Yeah. yeah, we also use the Latin <laughs> phrase in German then. Yeah. If I agree that in, in if there's truth in wine, I don't know. It depends on how far down the bottle you're looking, I think. <laughs> but there are two um, funny quotes about wine in German. Mm -hmm. For example, yeah. Das Leben ist viel zu kurz, um schlechten Wein zu trinken. Life is too short to drink bad wine. Or... Beer ist Menschenwerk, Wein aber ist von Gott. Beer is done by humans, wine is done by gods. <laughs> Or by God. <laughs> nice. Oh, good. The one okay. was from Goethe, the other one was from Martin Luther. <laughs> 
<laughs> Martin Luther. <laughs> oh, no wonder he wanted to reform the church, right? Yeah, because wine is, is of God. <laughs> he was pissed off that wine was not served. <laughs> yeah, all right. So, uh, I think we agree that there there might be some truth to this. And we probably all like wine uh, to at least some extent, <laughs> some more than others. But uh, when, yeah, when, when one is moderately drunk, obviously one tends to speak the truth as, as the usual berry is a, a, a just broken down by the alcohol, right? And uh, that is exactly where the saying comes from, by the way. And we do have it, exactly the same thing in Hungarian. Borbanazigoshag is how we say it. <laughs> is that one word? No, it's not. <laughs> But it's it's good you mentioned that quote that says um, it's life is too short to to drink bad wine because the problem is and that the question remains to to be solved whether you can actually figure out what's bad wine and what's good wine and how you assess the quality of the wine the different qualities of the wine so whether the saying is true assessing the pleasure the wine itself brings might not be that straightforward so there have been pieces of research published before about the ways labeling and pricing wine products can alter your perception about certain qualities of the wine, including taste, the, the intensity of taste, and the overall assessment of the quality. Well, after all, if you think about it, it's a subjective experience to consume wine, mm. right? Mm -hmm. But it's difficult to manipulate these variables, like, like price tags in a realistic wine-tasting setting. But now, an international group of researchers did publish uh, their findings on such an experiment conducted in Switzerland at the University of Basel, uh, to be precise. The psychology department offered a wine tasting to participants of a large public event where they held 15-minute wine tasting sessions with 140 participants. So that was quite a large event. Hmm. That, that's research I, could, I, I can really dig into. I, I, I like that. I mean, oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> Why didn't I choose a career as a psychologist, yeah, yeah. researcher? Yeah. <laughs> Why? It, it wasn't much of a, a social gathering, though, <laughs> ah. as, as they had to sit all by their own throughout the, the experiment without communicating to other participants so that they could obviously not influence one another's opinion on the wine. Mm -hmm. The research question was how price tags influence your wine tasting experience, and they came up with a nice protocol to test that. The researchers made participants taste six glasses of, of the drink in a totally randomized sequence where they went through three different wines, low, mid, and high-priced ones. Okay, they asked the participants to give ratings of intensity of taste and overall pleasantness of the wine that they consumed. They were asked to properly rinse their palates after each tasting so that they can reset their taste buds. So the only thing that was manipulated was the price tags so that some had clear and open indications of the real prices. Some glasses had no indications of prices whatsoever and some were overpriced so they, they they were given price tags that went much higher than their real price was or completely mixed like they, they completely mixed them up so the funny thing was that when it came to the the ones with the real price tags or with no price tags at all it tended to show some correlation with the price how they assessed the actual quality of the wine so it really had no influence whatsoever 
other than what they had already expected to find. So down pricing had had no effect on the pleasantness ratings of the wine and uh, the taste intensity ratings were not affected at all by the price tags but the pleasantness was and when they overpriced the cheap wines it had a positive effect on how people experienced the pleasantness of it right so that was the only place where there was an actual strong effect that they could show with the experiment so this is like the first real confirmation that this bias is there. <laughs> so you experience a wine product as much more pleasant if it has a high price tag, which is really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's cool to know. It's cool to know. <laughs> I would just ask myself if that's not only, if that's also the case for other beverages or other food items, for example, chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Or even yeah. cars or telephones. I mean, I think it's applied to, uh, if you bought a real yeah. fancy car, mm -hmm. it takes a lot for you to say it's no good. You really want to think it was really good because you paid all that money for it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. You paid a lot of money. And that's all, all it, it all has a lot to do with uh, cognitive dissonance as well. Even if you, yeah. you don't want that, you want to avoid cognitive dissonance. So I really like how um, the abstract given by the authors ends. And I, I'm going to quote, Thus, in wine may lay the truth, but its subjective experience may also lie in the price. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <they're> good <laughs> yeah and, and a bit of um surprising truth i found mm -hmm. and that is that i always thought that old forests play a significant role in climate mitigation that they're really good for the climate mm -hmm. and that's actually incorrect a new study found that mm -hmm. um because old forests are like good but they're not way better than normal forests like young forests or <laughs> middle-aged forests or whatever you want to classify that they don't suck out more co2 out of the atmosphere according to researchers at the university of copenhagen mm -hmm. because apparently forests reach a saturation after about 50 to 100 years and also when trees die they give the co2 back mm. so what the study summarized it as is old forests are still very important for biodiversity, but they're not the non plus ultra for um, like or against climate change. Exactly. And that's um, really, really interesting and really surprising to me. <laughs> yeah. I would say, please, dear scientists, we need you save our ass. <laughs> yes. Convince something that... That saves us. <laughs> yeah, and and politicians should listen more to scientists and not yes, not uh, the the guys with uh, all the money. Exactly. Give more money to science. Look what it does when you give enough resources to scientists to solve a problem. Yeah. Look at how the vaccine. Right. Okay, I I I I promise we wouldn't talk about <laughs> COVID nineteen, but still, this is scientifically speaking, it's a large achievement what has been done in the last year. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> moving on to finding out who's been really wrong lately. As you know, uh, I try to keep an eye on the Pope and his cardinals, and sometimes the cardinals don't need Frankie's help to be really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us have been uh, to Prague mm -hmm. at the old town square, right? Have you been there, Annika? Uh, no. No. Sadly not. No? <laughs> but Anders, you've been there. Yeah, many times. Mm, yeah, and me too. So this square has become a place of remembrance now of 
COVID victims, and people have come there to express regrets of the loss of life during the pandemic. And the, the Czech Republic has been hit very hard. Uh, at the, and at the time of this recording, uh, they actually have the highest number of dead from COVID per capita in the EU. Uh, so that's bad. From pictures that I've seen online, there are lots of white crosses painted on the square, and I assume that is to honor the dead. And I read that that's this place has been some sort of gathering place for for honoring the dead. Uh, so this square is where the Archbishop of Prague, Cardinal Dominic Duca. One of Frankie's boys, no less, he decided that was the best place to hold an outdoor mass together with the Christian fundamentalist organization Movement for Life. The mass was ostensibly to remember the one-year mark of the first COVID death, but it was turned into a, quote, celebrate unborn children, their parents and medical staff, unquote. Not only did... Cardinal Duca let this anti-abortion organization talk during the Mass. He himself had this to say during the Mass, and I quote, We are at risk of numbers now reaching about 20,000 deaths from the coronavirus disease. But we don't don't think at all about, uh, in the same period, we didn't allow about 20,000 children to be born. We just had them aborted because their birth didn't suit us, end quote. Fuck you, Mr. Cardinal. Mm Mm-hmm. Fuck you. Using the COVID uh, disaster, which it is, to turn it into propagate into that we don't want women to control their own bodies. That is really low. Uh, I lack words, but he is uh, he's a bad guy. It's like how I would like to uh, quote Greta Thunberg with that and, and just say like, how dare you? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. He And I called him one of Frankie's boys. Actually, he was appointed by Benedict uh, to be a, a cardinal, but but still. So I suppose he's still, still uh, a homie of, of Frankie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, for blatantly using the COVID pandemic tragedy to peddle his anti-abortion nonsense, Cardinal Dominic Duca, Archbishop of Prague and first-class idiot, gets today's prize for being really wrong. Well deserved. <laughs> it is indeed. Fuck off. Yes. <laughs> okay, I really like that we have an explicit tag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have to use it as well now that we have it. Yeah, there you go. All right, thank you, Pontus. And that concludes our show. But before we go, we do need a quote. And the quote, as promised before, comes from René Descartes. Alors, good set. It will be in English. <laughs> Hope you don't mind. <laughs> I prefer it, actually. It wasn't written in English. It was written in French, but I wouldn't dare give it a try. So, the quote is, Good sense is, of all things among men, the most equally distributed. For everyone thinks himself so abundantly provided with it, that those even who are the most difficult to satisfy in everything else, do not usually desire a large measure of this quality than they already possess. End quote. <laughs> we are all so full of good sense that no one needs more than they already have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A little bit of Dunning-Kruger, I feel, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Sounds a lot Way like before that. I do. Everybody thinks they're so smart. Yes. <laughs> yeah. A couple hundred years earlier than Dunning and Kruger live. All right. But that really 
signals the end of the show. And I'd like to thank both of you, Annika and Pontus, for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks a lot. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in this week. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Bis dann. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Shrub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Sorry. And that concludes our show. Sure, sure, sure. Sure, sure, sure. Sure, sure. No, not sure. Not sure. In vino veritas. Yeah. Because sure is beer and boar is wine. So, not sure, boar. What? Nothing. I'm not sure I follow, but okay. Sure in Hungarian means beer. I forgot my Hungarian there for a moment. I'm sorry. But you have heard that before. I have heard a lot of things that I don't remember when afterwards. We were having a beer together in Budapest. Well, you depends on how many I had to drink before I heard it, I think. I only heard Egeshegede. Egeshegede. So, bor is wine. Okay. Never mind. Moving on. Of course, uh, here lies... <laughs> but before we go... <laughs> Fuck me! <laughs> what, what's going on? I'm distracted. I don't know.